0: Alright, let's start. and um, We'll get going. Let's pray. God, thank you for the time. I pray that you would utilize the lessons that we discuss uh, throughout the semester to aid each one of us to be better communicators of your truth. Help us tonight as we consider those who we might encounter in our life whether in our family, at work whether at a restaurant or um, a friend that we've had all our lives I pray that you would help us to know um, and be better equipped to handle their skeptical objections to the gospel to Christianity to scripture and uh, be able to handle them without fear Um, to handle them with skill and uh, I pray that um, if nothing else happens that Pastor Larry and I in in uh, these two weeks would plant seeds uh, in uh, everyone's heart and mind to uh, be better equipped to uh, put that pebble in the shoe of that skeptic with uh, the good news of the gospel, in your name we pray. Amen. All
1: right. What was that? Is that noise from speakers? No.
0: I think it's the lights. All right. So you'll notice that uh, this week, um, the lesson sheet that you have is very bare. The reason is typically I start a lesson and I try to give you uh, very clearly up front what we're, what we're going to accomplish. And then I try to just systematically uh, and hopefully clearly accomplish our goal by the end. Today, I'm going to try to build the lesson as we go and then kind of like in an aha sort of moment, which it won't be that spectacular, I promise, but kind of like by the end, we come to the conclusion, the grand conclusion of what I'm trying to drive at. So that's why I have the goal for the lesson all the way down at the bottom, and just a bunch of blank space. Because if I gave you a bunch of information, uh, then it kind of defeats the purpose of what I'm trying to do. <clears throat> so I apologize at just basically giving you a white piece of paper tonight. Um, so let's really quick um, try to review. We are. Already, this is lesson 8, so we are almost uh, two-thirds of the way through. We started with the biblical call. We looked at texts of Scripture that showed why we need to be uh, evangelizing. Then we looked at, we considered reasons why we don't evangelize. And and you basically provided all of the reasons why any good Christian would uh, choose to not evangelize. Then we looked at the facts of the Gospel, and we boiled it down to... The five um, absolute essential components of the gospel that someone needs to know in order to become a Christian are God, man and sin, Jesus, response and promise. Those were the buckets of information um, that we use, or the outline. We did talk about like subpoints underneath each of those things that we're not going to tease out now, but those were the five kind of core components or pieces of information. Then we considered the relationship of our personal evangelism, or I should say God's sovereignty, to our personal evangelism. We define sovereignty as the inherent right, so the thing that like it's part of God's existence. It's part of who He is. He has the right and the power to control all things as He desires or as He pleases. And he's, over, he's sovereign over every aspect of life, and that's inclusive of every aspect of our evangelism. Whether it's the person and whether or not they believe, whether it's us and how we communicate that gospel, He's in control of it all. He's even in control of the circumstance of putting you in the right place at the right time. That is a divine appointment of God to put you in that relationship, to give you that opportunity to share. And, and the whole point in the, the driving uh, truth that I was trying to convey in that lesson was that confidence in God's sovereignty will fuel confidence in your personal evangelism. If you have a, uh, a tremendous trust in the fact that God is sovereign over everything, you can be empowered and emboldened when you're sharing the gospel with other people. Then we moved on to the philosophy of relational evangelism. We talked all sorts of, uh, uh, about all sorts of things related to building our relationships. Then two weeks ago, we talked about how we take a conversation that's just one of those everyday sorts of run-of-the-mill conversations and convert that into a gospel conversation. We talked about the transition statement and the importance of that. That kind of generic statement like, Something like, you know, I've never experienced that sort of problem in my life. But I have had other problems. And can I share with you for just a brief minute what, what I've found to be really helpful? And then into the three-circle tool you go. And then as you get done with that three-circle tool, you could say something such as, is there anything that would prevent you from turning and repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus right now. And at that point in time, if, if in that process, that three-circle explanation, they haven't brought up any objections, they very well might bring up an objection at that point in time. Like, well, I don't know if I could trust in a God who allows so many people to die. Whatever. Or a God who claims He's good and loving, yet all the crap that we see in the world exists. And so last week we practiced that tool, and this week and next week, Pastor Larry and I are going to kind of tag team a discussion about, how, so how do we deal with those objections that are going to inevitably arise? Now you might have just a really um, antagonistic person, and uh, there's a, probably a whole different set of uh, rules on how to relate to that person. Read the story of Sure. But when I'm referring to the idea of a skeptic, here's what I'm meaning. There's a sense in which every unbeliever is a skeptic, right? Because every unbeliever has a reason or multiple reasons why they are choosing to not believe. But here's what I'm referring to and what Pastor Larry is referring to. Someone who is casting some sort of logical, Or um, sometimes even harder to deal with, emotional objection to the validity of Christianity. That person who says, who like attacks the credibility of Scripture, for instance, by saying, Oh, that's just written by a bunch of dead guys thousands of years ago. It has nothing to do with me now. That's the sort of thing, the sort of person that we're talking about right now. So, some suggested resources on how to deal with people like this. The people who are casting objections of the logical or emotional type against the validity of Scripture. Here's three resources. I've alluded to them before. And these are horrible pictures I know. Questioning Evangelism is the book that's kind of like the book of the class. I had to pick one and that's the one I picked. There's another book called Tactics. And I highly recommend you just buy all of these, okay? So, Tactics is another book. A lot of what I'm going to be discussing and pulling from tonight is from this book. It's written by a guy named Gregory Kukul. That's K-O-U-K-L. Get this book. Um, it, it's fabulous. I'll be pulling a lot from that tonight. And then a very simple but very beneficial book is one called Meet the Skeptic by author Bill Foster, that takes, uh, basically, those four images are indicative of four different types of skeptics or buckets of skeptics that you might encounter. Uh, people who, um, and Larry, you'll have to help remind me because I'm going off the cuff here, but the scientific skeptic, the uh, biblical or the, uh, the the spiritual skeptic, um, and, he, and he has four different categories, and he tries to basically say any Objection that you might ever encounter against Christianity would fall in one of these categories. And then he just very succinctly says, here's the root of their objection. Here's questions that you can use to try to get at the heart of their objection. Here's how
1: to deal with them. Um, so it's very, very helpful. Meet the skeptic. The two on the left we have right now in the Resource Center. I think the one of the meet the skeptic we don't have right now, but we can get for you. So... Before we dive
0: into the lesson, I want to bring up uh, something that uh, someone within the church was reading this book. It's known in our class, but someone was reading this book, Questioning Evangelism. I'd like to point out, um, a, if I could, it's more than a snafu. So, on page 162 of this book, you don't need to turn there, you can if you want, but the author uh, actually refers to a gay Christian. He says, for the gay Christian, the issue is more complex. Now, there's a person in our church who found that, was reading through the book, found that, and in his own words, about had a panic attack. Um, And understandably so, because if you've ever listened to Pastor Ken, or you believe what the Bible says, there's no such thing as a gay Christian. Certainly, a homosexual or, uh, or a Christian could struggle with homosexual temptations, but. A practicing homosexual cannot be a Christian. It's just contrary to Scripture. Um, and so, this person pointed that out to Pastor Ken. This person also, uh, thankfully, actually contacted the author, and the author wrote back and acknowledged the error and said that if we, if he uh, edits this book again, that he will make that change. Um, so, kudos to to that congregant. Um, for the work that he did to, to uh, figure that out. But I wanted to point out, because if any of you haven't made it through to that point, uh, maybe you might have that same stumble, like, uh, uh what are we doing uh, suggesting this book? Well, I want you to know that not everything that we suggest is like 100% in lockstep, and this guy acknowledged the fact that it was a BIF. So... Um, because he does not believe he believes the same thing that we would believe did you have what were you raising your hand
2: well Uh, I don't want to throw a wrench in the works but I do believe I actually have met people who became Christians already homosexual behavior and they definitely struggle yeah and I am—I am one person who can testify that we do not get every flaw in our lives instantly changed when yep. we get saved.
0: And I'm not suggesting that that's not possible either, but um, and we're not going to go there either <laughs> because that's not what this class is about, <laughs> especially this lesson. Okay. Um, but I—I—I I, I didn't feel. Uh, right when that was brought up to my attention because I read this book seven years ago, eight years ago and probably didn't catch it back then Um, although I I read the first edition not the second. Um, So with that done what I would like to do is uh, I'm going to read you three scenarios or scenes from the book Tactics, the one in the middle just going to read them. I'm going to put them on the screen so you can read along with me. And I just want you to think about how you would respond to these scenarios. Scene number one. You're hosting a dinner party at your home for some of your close friends from church. The conversation ranges naturally over a number of interesting spiritual topics. Suddenly, to your surprise and embarrassment, your 15-year-old son announces with some belligerence that he doesn't believe in God anymore. It's simply not rational," he says. "There's no proof. You have no idea or you had no idea he'd been moving in this direction. There's a stunned silence. What will you say? Scene two: <clears throat> It's the night of your weekly Bible study group. During the discussion of the Sunday sermon on the Great Commission, a newcomer remarks, "Who are we to say Christianity is better than any other religion?" I think the essence of Jesus' teaching is love, the same as all other religions. It's not our job to tell other people how to live or believe. The rest of the group fidgets awkwardly, but says nothing. How do you respond? In scene three, you're riding the university shuttle with a friend who notices a Bible in your backpack. I've read the Bible before, he says. It's got some interesting stories, but people take it way too seriously. It was only written by men, after all, and men make mistakes. You try to recall the points your pastor made a few weeks earlier about the Bible's inspiration, but come up empty-handed. What do you say? So, have you ever encountered objections like that before? If so, what are some of those objections? Larry's going to write them on the board. What are these... So this is like your mini homework assignment from last week what are some of the objections that you faced or heard in your sharing of the gospel one of
2: my brothers who claims to be an atheist uh, has said to me very plainly that he just does not believe that if there was God he would be as judgmental
1: and, uh, unforgiving, as he appears. So say that's uh, don't
0: you, try to boil it down to your <laughs> saying. No, 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 no.
1: So is that saying that, that God presented in the Bible is too judgmental? Is that a good synopsis He's of that? that?
2: he doesn't believe there is a God because okay. because he would be he would be uh, much nicer than than what he appears.
1: So when you say when, then what he judgmental. appears, what does he mean by then what he appears? So I guess Maybe I'm
0: the not antagonizing you're not you're not interrogating her. Alright, I'll just write down what
1: you're there. Isn't he saying the Bible's <laughs> wrong yeah. because
3: yeah. the Bible's saying Thank that God is too judgmental? <laughs> so wouldn't it be God. an issue with the Bible? <laughs> that the God of the Bible is we too judgmental. We will
0: get there next week. We're gonna get to the root. Larry just needs to write down he's Vanna white right now. He's just turning turning the letters. <laughs> He's not a good fan of white, though. Anyone else? Anyone else? There's got to be more objections than that.
3: Cultural issues.
0: To make it more specific.
3: My friend was raised Hindu. And she's Indian, so that's what her family believes.
1: Okay. So what's the objection?
3: So she's Hindu because they're Indian, and Indian people are Hindu. That's their family, their culture. It's more than just... A religion—it's part of who they think they like they are. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Joe, you're scratching the side of your head. Yeah, I got one. Okay.
4: okay.
0: Oh, my bad. I should have heard the chalk. <sighs> so I'm going
1: to put uh, religion is just. So we're saying that objection is religion is just your cultural identity. Kind of what you're saying. Joe? My roommate Jimmy thinks that some of the stories or topics in the Bible are too unbelievable that there might be some holes. the Bible's too fantastic to believe. Yes. I have a big family,
2: okay? I have a brother who's Mormon who says very plainly that that the Book of Mormon uh, was given to us because God would never be silent for the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew.
4: Wow. So that's where why that book came through Joseph
2: Smith. Uh, Are right, those books? I thought those books were Catholic. They're Mormon. They're it's just it's just history.
1: What do you, what?
2: The books
1: between Malachi
2: and
0: Matthew, right? The Apocrypha? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that she's yeah. actually talking about something Mormon. different, Mormon. Mormon. unrelated to the apocrypha and pseudepigrapha. She's referring to the Book of Mormon, which is specific to Mormonism, oh, the Church so of the, the Latter Day right. Saints, the Mormons. So yeah. that's like Joseph Smith, the yeah. who was a historical man, but claims that he re- received a vision from the angel Moroni right? and and that's where he basically got this revelation to write this book and create this religion um, so that's separate from the, the, the uh, collection of books that you're speaking uh-huh. of I wrote more and I'll
3: shut
0: up you did write too big Okay, might to you might have to take pictures and erase yes
4: um, the Bible says it's, that the Earth has been around about 6,000 years. Did you say start? that? You're not going there.
0: Stop. All right, Larry, do not ask questions. And <laughs> <laughs>
4: science
0: proves
1: that There we go. Thank you. Okay. the Earth
4: is millions of years old.
0: Remember, Scientist we're just recording what they. Wow.
4: <laughs> Isn't that the
3: whole belief that the earth was created when God made it versus.
0: Yeah, we're. So basically, you're saying someone would object to. Well, science has proven that evolution is, is fact and true. So Christianity can't be true because science has proven it. Isn't There's right?
1: lots of varieties of that. Science has just proved the Bible. Yeah. It's,
4: it's not it's, to be
1: taken literally. Yeah. Chris? Um, a lot of people have said, like, too
5: many rules, too many restrictions. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't know if they could keep up with that, or they don't know if they could follow that. Yeah, they can. Well, can. <laughs> but
1: that's what mean. Yeah, they, I think yeah, that it's so strict, you know, yeah.
5: so many
1: rules and things. Yeah. I mean, when the
5: Lord changes you, I think, yeah. you know, it starts falling in place. And that's
1: what a lot of people... I've. Yep. I'm playing right into my answer so are, are you doing it right back then? Yeah, I keep tripping yeah. over that. These right. are the questions I have right now. Go, we'll go from Phil the back to the front. Two. All right, go for it. Yeah,
0: Phyllis is
4: like on her fourth one. She's how, right. can, how, can, how can God forgive a man like, if if you're saved by grace through faith, how can a man like Hitler... All that he does, don't tell me that he could do all that stuff and it'd still be possible. that he okay. okay,
0: okay. While he's writing, you can keep going, Joe.
1: Um, Jimmy also claims that the Bible has errors because the stories were passed from man to man. To repeat stories, errors occur versus it, it was written You have you got. You know what this one is. Okay, well, Anthony, just
0: notice. so you know, we're uh. Right now, well, that's the question. What objections have you heard to Christianity? Um, Logical, emotional, whatever. So I assume that you probably have some that you've heard, so don't be scared to pitch in. So, Sarah?
3: like you had said at the beginning, how a loving God lets bad things happen, natural disasters.
1: Yep. So... Yeah, I've
3: even heard that, it for yeah. disabilities, children with disabilities.
6: Yep. You know how God loves them. Along with the error one uh, mm-hmm. people uh, believe the Bible contradicts itself. Yeah. So I've heard a lot of um, a
0: lot of variations of the attack on Scripture. Actually. Um, dude I don't know how you're going to fit anymore you have to start yeah, right a small more. in between yeah. did you get Sierra's the one about the about yeah. how bad things happen yeah. How, how would a done? good God all. all right all right
1: cool. all
5: right mm-hmm. um, people have said how can God be so good and loving when babies die mm-hmm. there are tragedies mm-hmm. and there are yeah. things happen in the world
1: yeah and
5: is very challenging.
1: Yeah, that's a Most very I specific. Though, because I'll see
5: somebody, you're
1: Christian, aren't you? Yeah, we're good to go. <laughs> that's a very specific version of this one, right? How okay. could a good God allow so much evil? You know, one of one of my friends that I've alluded to, the
0: guy that's taking me to that WWF wrestling thing that I told you about, mm-hmm. which is completely weird. Um, <laughs> so he grew up kitty cornered from me. And he's the one that we share refrigerator rights. If you're if you're recalling, I've talked about him about him multiple times. Well, the last obje- last time he was in town and we got together. We always go to Sylvia's in Allen Park. You should go there if you've never been. It's excellent food, um, high quality. Shot cups, pepperoni cups, of grease on the pizza. Delicious. Anyway, it's great. so my my friend Bobby, last time we were there eating, his objection was, um, he always starts with, "I don't understand why you need to keep studying the Bible. Why do you need to keep going to church?" Like, "Can't you learned it all by now?" Like, "Because I've been a Christian all my life." Like, "Like, don't you know it all yet?" And then this objection again threw me for a loop. He's like, "Well, didn't you know that the Bible like is just." Repeats of stories throughout history, and it's just like recapitulations or or retold stories from ancient history. I'm like, what do I say to that one? <laughs> I never even had heard of that one yet. So that's one, that's the most recent objection that he's no leveling growing in popularity. Uh, you yeah, have up there like the Bible is just one part of many different good. Theories or books or like, because I've had people say like, no, the Bible is totally true. I, I believe that, but also all this other stuff, or it's just one thing in succession of. Yeah. No, I don't yeah. think anyone said that yet. Okay,
1: I'm going to write shorthand for that one. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard of Blind Men and the Elephant? Okay. No, we'll, you'll say that live <laughs> next week. That, that's, that's I'm sorry, I'm math. just
0: going to be really rude. But Larry and I, we're, we're tight. We can do that. We'll,
1: we'll talk about that next yeah. week. What's
0: that? Larry gets Larry gets all the time next week. It'll <laughs> really interesting. He might need two weeks. Bruce. Well, some people just say, Christian, you guys don't have any fun. Wow, that, that is actually true. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I know. No,
0: no. I mean, like, no, 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 I was really I mean, like, yeah.
1: we need to teach Troy. No, on that, like, no, that's actually
0: true. Like that, people accuse us. We, we, are, you and I have a lot of fun <laughs> we are recording this. So so yeah, I always like. I to can't say, even.
1: Yeah. So I've worked <laughs> for a number of years. I worked in not a church, so I worked with a lot of unbelievers, and my clients are unbelievers. And I always like to say that Christians do have fun, and they remember it.
0: <laughs> no christians have fun i have a lot of fun i was just meaning that that's true a true objection that people that's like level. this with
1: the bible's too restrictive right but we had yeah, have all sorts all of fun, fun this fun. summer yeah, we did
2: yeah
1: way
0: all right yes and yes
2: <laughs> i'm a sister who is a Jehovah's Witness? Man, like
0: what kind? Of, this is like the most inclusive family I've ever heard of. <laughs> you guys are like
2: your family's like
1: that bumper sticker. I've told you. To. Yeah. My goodness.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's more, yeah, but that's family. okay. We're, anyway, we'll stop
1: see, at the Jehovah's Witness. Okay,
2: so she believes that Jesus is not God. Okay. And and the reason for that is because of the um, butchering of the scriptures that she reads and calls it scripture. Um, because what they do is exactly what God warned us against in the very end of the Bible do not take away or add to this word. Mormons add to it, Jehovah's Witnesses take away from it. So they have changes, small, subtle changes like John 1 and, 1. And this, she just firmly believes that Jesus is not God, that he never claimed to be God.
1: Well, that's just bad Greek grammar. So, that's yeah, true, well, but, don't, don't but you're doing us. what I'm doing now. I know, I know, I know, that. I know, I know. So, I'm gonna but put I'm the teacher down. right now. So, <laughs> I'm going to put that down as competing revelational claims. They're claiming, yes, yes. like the Book of Mormon, they're claiming, no, I have revelation that says what you say is true is wrong. Yeah. Linda.
2: My sister-in-law, she's Jehovah's Witness. And what they do when I first met her, when I married my husband, um, they want to go through your Bible and their Bible, and they want to compare.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And if they don't like it the way it's worded, yeah.
1: they What's The beginning of that, what's the setting? What is their view? Her, her sister-in-law is Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's
0: Witness, okay. So they're comparing their Bible.
1: So similar to it yeah. So
0: I want to shift... Um, because we've got a lot of objections, obviously, and we could probably talk about many more. But I wanna kinda of hone in a little bit. So how did those actual those encounters that you've experienced make you feel? Like what was your gut reaction in the moment when that person said whatever they said to you?
6: Most of the time it me off. What was that? Most of the time, it cheesed me off. <laughs> okay. Can <laughs> you define who cheesed me off? <laughs> he got angry. So. Yeah, angry, you know, ticked off. Okay. I got very defensive. Okay. I, I had to literally explain what I,
4: what I, my point of view. is like it like almost became an argument at that point. back Yeah. Okay. My heart just breaks
1: form. It breaks form. Okay.
0: So defensiveness, anger, uh, sadness. Does anyone get terrified? Like, oh, stink. I have no idea what I'm going to say to that one. <laughs>
4: yeah? I, I I got terrified one time. I talked to this guy who, who said, uh, who was talking about Hitler. He was do, actually doing God's will. And, uh, you know, that sort of alarmed me because... Because he lived yeah. in my neighborhood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 that's a legitimate fear. So,
6: wow, that's uh,
0: that's an interesting one. I, I, yeah, one so, if you could change your response. Your fearful response. Your your uh, defensive... Because, you, Joe, you said that you immediately got defensive, tried to share your position, and then it became a what? An argument. An argument. My dad got angry. You got sad. You got scared. So, in your, at least in your four or five reactions, and then maybe the rest of you can pitch in, how could you... Change the way you reacted or responded in such a way that it would be more beneficial to alleviate that fear or the defensiveness or anger, <laughs> or I mean, the sadness is a legitimate thing uh, that is okay to have, unless it paralyzes you to the point that you don't you're immobile and can't speak. But, oh, I'm sorry, Sierra. I
3: mean, uh-huh. Prepare Because I guess I have fear because I'm not a fast thinker. Like, I don't always have a response in general. <laughs> and so the more, like, we practice the transition statements, the more you make a conscious effort to prepare, the more likely you'll, you'll be able to say something even if it's, you know what, that's great, I need to get back to you, but you have something to say. Mm-hmm.
1: That
0: is a great point. And I will make note of this at the very end, but it is okay to not know. And to say, you know what? That's a great question. I have no idea how to answer that right now. Let me Give me some time to think about it, and I'll come back to you. Mm-hmm.
4: It's almost better
1: or safer than trying to, oh, yeah, to go <laughs> with it. Because yeah, you, you once you, you go, you don't want to make it up as
0: you go. That's bad. That, mm-hmm. It's going to end in most likely heresy We're claiming
1: something. to be people who, who uh, have discovered the truth. I mean, you can't make up truth as you come. <laughs>
2: right. One thing one thing I have found that is helpful, it, it may end the conversation for the moment, but it leaves the door open, and that is to just, you know, there are a lot of things I don't know, but this I do know about God.
1: Hmm.
2: This I do know.
4: It's a good transition, mm-hmm. actually. That's yeah. To not take it personally, to realize that there's sin... Is it really against you, it's against God. And that sort of takes you out of the picture.
0: Yeah. That's a good point to kinda like depersonalize the interaction because what they're really like the root of what they're angry at or they're responding and and rejecting isn't you. I mean they're rejecting you because you're the messenger of the good news, but (laughs) it it's it's like they're looking past you really. Their angst is just towards you because you're the one hearing it. Well, that's a good point, not to you personally. Jess?
5: Um, kind of along those lines one thing that I tried to think about in those conversations is like these all these objections they're coming from somewhere within, but the Bible says that man just refuses God and doesn't want to obey him or it's that we're just refusing him and you know all these things are you know some of them are not necessarily if you were to be able to come up with this great answer for what they had to say that it would always be the difference for them Mm -hmm. and I guess just understanding that even if you give them exactly what they need to hear and it's the complete right answer is that the root of why they're not accepting
0: Christ. So I'm going to go back to the three scenes, okay? And I'm going to, we're not going to look at the three scenes, but I'm going to uh, kind of paraphrase or minimize that, that scene one with an objection or a challenge statement. And then I'm going to give you what the author of tactics has as a reply. I'm going to do that with each of the three scenes. So um, if I can remember, the first scene was Little boy, you're at home, the, your child says, I don't believe in God anymore. Scene two is that Bible study and basically Christianity is the same as all other religions, love is the basis. And then the third one is, remember, the riding in the university shuttle. Well, I've read the Bible before. It's got interesting stories, but people take it way too seriously. So those are the objections. Here's uh, the response for, for number one. The challenge was, so basically the core of what that scene was saying against Christianity is it's not rational to believe in God. There is no proof. Okay? So here is the author's response. What do you mean by God? That is, what kind of God do you reject? What specifically is irrational about believing in God? Since you seem to be concerned about proof for God's existence, what kind of evidence would you uh, find acceptable? So he, the author is suggesting these would be this would be the type of response that he would uh, leverage against that type of challenge. Okay, response number two, the challenge, the heart of it was Christianity is basically the same as all other religions. The main similarity is love. We shouldn't tell others how to live or believe, right? That was the challenge. So here is the response. How much have you studied other religions to compare the details and find a common theme? Why would the similarities be more important than the differences? I'm curious, what do you think Jesus' own attitude was on this issue? Did he think all religions were basically equal? Isn't telling people to love one another just another example of telling them how they should live and believe? So obviously you wouldn't necessarily have to be asking all these questions simultaneously. You could ask one, and then it would turn into conversation. You could have one, just one of this series, and I guarantee it would... Uh, arrest that conversation, and not to a halt, but hopefully it would spur that conversation on. Response three. The challenge was, you can't take the Bible too seriously because it was only written by men and men make mistakes. So here would be his response. Do you have any books in your library? Were those books written by humans? Do you find any truth in them? Is there a reason you think the Bible is less truthful than or less reliable than other books you own? Do people always make mistakes in what they write? Do you think that if God did exist, He would be capable of using humans to write down exactly what He wants? If not, why not? So, trying to keep these thoughts and responses in mind, what are some things that you notice about the way... This author responded. He has questions. He his okay, so he answered the objections with questions.
5: It was non-confrontational. What was that? It was non-confrontational. I mean, he didn't get upset. Well,
0: yeah, he didn't. I mean, obviously, he's writing, but he was—he wasn't upset. You could even hear it in the tone of his questions that he wrote. He wasn't angry at that person. He was just responding with. He wasn't defensive, right? He wasn't like Joe or I have been where he was like, oh, i got to give an answer. boom!" And then he just harpooned this dude with this really logical question and they're just sitting there and it just shuts down the conversation and they're just like, okay, you're, you're an idiot. It, it's uh,
6: having to... In the case of all three of these, somebody made a statement in objection to something about Christianity. So if they're going to make that statement, he's the author's coming back at him saying, "Well, give me some support for what you're saying. You know, you want me to back up what I believe as a as a believer. Right. So you're you say it's illogical to believe and get irrational. Explain that to me. What do you mean by that? And in a lot of cases, I'll bet we would find." if we carry these out, that they would end up if you ask the right questions like they're hinting at here, they're gonna come up with their own answer that their thought is really invalid as compared to the truth. Yep. I mean, ultimately I think that would happen. Yep. Not in every case but in a lot of them.
0: So here's the whole like this whole thing that I've been driving toward, and so you got it. It's this that there is a better way to answer A skeptic, and the better way is to answer their objections with questions. Answer like, if you don't write anything else down, write this down: answer objections with questions. Vince, you can make a statement and then uh, ask
4: a question. Like Phil has said in another uh, another class, that Christianity is different. Because all other religions are based on work, where Christianity is based on faith. Okay? If you could work your way to heaven,
1: what did Jesus Christ die for? Mm -hmm.
4: And their only answer, well, he died for your sins.
0: But I think, so that is a good question, and we should ask that question at some point in time. But what we're, what we're initially getting at is how do we respond to that person's initial skeptical uh, objection to Christianity? Because at some point in time in that conversation, they're going to probably, you know, because they're going to be feeling most likely maybe a little bit stressed or tense because we're like the gospel is offensive to them. In and of itself. So they, they come in and they, they try to zing you with a, a good one that you're not prepared for. And you might not get to that, right? You might not get to the stage where you're actually talking about how you even get to heaven. They're talking about the. They're trying to accuse, uh, talk about the. or discredit the integrity of Scripture. And so you have to address that specific objection in that specific moment and i'm suggesting as questioning evangelism does and as tactics does that the best way to do that is through asking a question or a series of questions and maybe and, I, and maybe you would get to that specific question but we're talking about questions specifically related to their objection so, why do you think that asking questions is a better way? Some of you have meant, already alluded to that, Joe.
6: Because it gives them an opportunity to respond, and in, in response, you can then use their response against
1: them or make your, hey, you responded this way, and you're on the right track. Yep.
4: Continue your logical thought to the end of the conclusion.
1: Right.
0: So, it, it gives them the opportunity. To explain and re-explain.
5: Well, it puts the onus on them. Bingo.
4: Yeah.
0: Right. If they're going to make a statement, they have to support that statement with with fact. They can't. They shouldn't be allowed to just okay make the statement and then go poof, drop it down and like not substantiate it. Anything else? Well, it gives them a chance to think. While they're trying to, you know, determine their
2: answer to you for your question, they have to think. And yeah. and sometimes it can it, it can really, you know, provoke reflection about, well, how valid are my objections? Yeah.
5: Just yes. With her last sentence, it allows them to see their holes on their own mm-hmm. instead of you trying to... Really this is
1: the whole argument and they're like right. oh,
2: that? <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Linda something my sister and brother-in-law always did with the Jehovah Witness thing they'd always go to the library to try to prove you wrong they'd look up the books to give you a different mm. answer than what you know they were saying in the beginning mm.
0: so let me give you a couple Well, uh, no, there's more than a couple there's maybe like five or six Reasons that Pastor Larry and I have come up with uh, that answering an objection with a question, why we think it is better. Number one, it gives you time to think. Not only gives them time to think, but it gives you time to think, right? Because if you're angry, or if you're freaked out, or if you're defensive, or if you're overcome by sadness which are just the four that were mentioned here, it gives you the ability to... Wait, I have no idea what in the world that person just said. So let me ask a question. And it gives them more time to talk. It gives me more time to like... Okay, take a deep breath. Hear what they have to say. So it gives you time to think. Not only does it give them time to think, it gives you and I time to think. Number two, and related to this, it moves us out of a defensive posture, right? Because as Joe said, you feel defensive. You want to just immediately respond with the right answer. But immediately responding with the right answer isn't necessarily always the best way to to go about it. So it allows, and this I think is key, it allows you to guide the conversation, right? So it puts you in the driver's seat. So, if he makes an objection or she makes an objection and you respond with a question, all of a sudden, as uh, I don't know, someone over here said, uh, it, it puts the onus on them. Oh, it was you. It puts the onus on them, puts you in the driver's seat. Number three, gives you the opportunity to better understand what the questioner is trying to say which means that it gives you the ability to not make a faulty or hasty conclusion about what they're saying. The best thing that you could do, the best thing that I could do, is to repeat what they're saying back to them to make sure that you are accurately and fairly representing them. Because you really can't go on uh, in an argument if that's what it is, even if it's a cordial argument. You can't really go on in a debate or an argument if, if Anthony is hostile towards me and he makes an objection and I repeat that objection and he disagrees with the, the, my interpretation of it. So if he disagrees with my interpretation of his objection, then we're going to argue about that rather than actually argue about the content of the objection. So we need to be able to
1: accurately and fairly
0: regurgitate what they're saying. Mm-hmm there
1: and give an example of that like we've got that how could a good god allow evil up there and this came up in our conversations over the last you know leading up to now if you respond right away with well you know just think about it and you start laying out the logic of well this completely completely makes sense so for example the bible says and you go through it all and really if we had asked some more questions and listened to them we might discover that they lost a child or something like that. And really what they're struggling with is not the logical problem of evil, but the emotional problem of evil. And you don't get to that if you come out with an answer right away. So number four,
0: it surfaces in the course of your discussion of asking questions, it very well might surface the questioner's assumptions. They're going to have these core assumptions that they might not even recognize on their own. Um, and it will, in the course of the conversation, unearth some of those. I have a couple more, so we gotta go to another slide because it didn't fit. It forces the questioner to support his or her assertions, right? In one of the books, I think it's Tactics, it talks about if they're gonna make, if they're go, you have to put the structure underneath the roof. So they liken the the assertion or the accusation to a roof, well, you have to support it with the structure of the house underneath. So if they're going to make this statement, you have to support it. And and that's, I think Anthony might have been the one saying that. I'm not sure. Someone was saying that. And that we, we have to force them to do that. One of the goals, it, like when you get to the end of this thing, is that you, if you ever heard the phrase, the idea of putting a pebble in someone's shoe, and you walk around and it's just super annoying. Not that you want—you don't want to be the annoyance, but if you give them through this, this conversation led by questions, because obviously not everything that you say is going to be a question. You're going to ask a question. They're going to answer. You might ask another one. At some point in time, you're going to be making a propositional statement and maybe follow up with a question. But throughout this process, hopefully you're going to be able to be communicating truth and asking questions. And somewhere along the way, because you've forced them to deal with their own assumptions, you've vocalized what they believe, and you're making them support their own assertions, through that process, hopefully they'll just be like this little annoying pebble in their shoe, even if they don't come to Christ at that moment, where they're thinking, man, something just didn't sit well with me on that. And over time, that thing's just going to annoy them until they have to grapple with it. Last one. A person I think Jess was starting to get to this. A person is more likely to change his or her position when they become convinced on their own. If they come to the conclusion on their own some you could parents sometimes refer to their kids as having to learn the hard way. This is kind of like that. You know, a parent can say, do this, don't do that. And they refuse to, to obey. And they, they, they do that stupid thing and then they realize, oh, that stupid thing was really stupid. My parents were right. I had this amazing moment last week with Caden. So he gets in the car. I don't even remember now the timing. So he sits in the passenger seat with me and out of the blue, we're just sitting there, we're driving. I think it was home from church last Sunday or something and he's like, you know, Dad, I learned that but I really don't want to do go somewhere. It's just better to go go go, go anyway, and, and, and it's just better to go with it. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? He's like, you know, like, Mom took me to, to D-Buck's Pumpkin Patch, or whatever, I don't know what this place is called. He's like, I didn't want to leave the house, and I didn't want to go. And then I went, and I had fun. He's like, so I've, I've just learned that I just need to go, and I just need to go with the flow. And if I do, it'll be way better that way.
4: What, what the heck just happened here? I'm
0: like <laughs> what happened to my son? I'm like this is sweet. He came to that conclusion all on his own, I'm like this is awesome maybe i don't I won't have to like harp at him like because he's a homebody. he would rather just stay at home and hang out at home and play football than go anywhere else in the world. This is pretty cool. I was happy about that, so what I'd like to do. Is offer something uh, what I'll call, for lack of better term, a conversation guide um, that will help you and I navigate our future conversations with skeptics. It's very simple, and I'm going to introduce it tonight. Briefly explain kind of the the gut behind it, and then next week, Larry's going to come up and he's going to get the whole time to talk to you about how we're going to fl- how this type of Series of questions would flesh itself out in uh, different objections. He's going to take, let's say, a sample objection, walk through that conversation with you, and then we might even—I know you're going to hate me for this—we might even like have another force fun activity, and we're going to like make you, you know, like answer our objections. It'll be really fun next week, so you should come. But. Christians have fun right so here here's the structure and let me explain it so here would be the cluster so someone levels an objection at you here would be a very generic question but I hope that you remember these three questions what do you mean by that with this question we're trying to get it we're trying to get an understanding of what they're saying. Well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? The Bible was just written by a bunch of old guys. Or what do you mean when you say, God isn't loving? What do you mean by evil? What do you mean by God? What do you mean? What are they saying when they say whatever they say? What do you mean? Understand as thoroughly and as clearly as you can what they're saying. The second question is, How did you come to that conclusion? So now you're getting at the why. Why do they believe that? So when Pastor Larry gave that illustration of that person who's struggling with the problem of evil and why bad things happen in this world and how could God be a loving and good God when so much evil happens, and when you ask questions, well, what do you mean by evil? What do you mean by good? Well, how did you come to this conclusion that a good and loving God must not exist because all this evil is in the world and then you realize oh they had a child die they didn't logic their way through this at all this is an emotional objection to this whole thing so that's question two so number question number one is what do you mean by that getting the heart of what understanding them number two is How did you come to a conclusion? Getting to the why of how did they come to this conclusion? How did they uh, get to this belief system in the first place? And then the third is have you ever considered, and this is the time where you would provide an alternative. Have you ever considered this particular view? Your Christian view. This is the core. This is the the, the shell. Now this is, you're probably never, you might never ask, this exact same question this way. You could ask this question in a myriad of ways. It might take you 15 questions just to get to that aspect. Like, one of the ways that you could say it is you could... Um, what was the illustration? Oh, uh, oh, man. My brain is having a brain fart right now. But, like... Something simple, I can't remember the objection, but you could literally say, like, really? You really you really think that... Do you really think that all religions... So, for instance, I think all religions are the same. Really? You really think that? So you, you really think that, like, uh, radical Islam is the same as, as Christianity? Like, people who blow themselves up into buildings and airplanes, like, that's the same as... This, like, just asking—really—that's a different way of getting to this, right? To getting to understand what what they're saying. There's the outline. Few things to keep in mind, and then we're done. Number one, our goal, as I've tried to remind you, it's our job right now is to learn how to make disciples who make disciples. Right? What we're doing is not, number two, learning how to win an argument. I don't care if you lose every argument. I don't don't want to win an argument. You shouldn't be here to want to learn how to win an argument with an unbeliever who is really skeptical. Our goal is to make disciples who make disciples. So we're not trying to learn how to win an argument. We're trying to learn how to get to the unbeliever's heart with the gospel. That's the goal. That's why this idea of question makes so much sense because we're getting to the heart number four it's okay to say that you don't know come back later say you know what? that's a great question i don't have an answer but give me a week or you know what? that's a great question and that is way above my intellectual capabilities but i happen to know this super smart dude larry who is awesome at apologetics and you wouldn't say that word but who's (laughs) awesome at this kind of stuff and I would like to introduce you guys. Maybe we could all go out to lunch. Boom. Larry is like he's a stud with that stuff. Last one. Knowing your Bible, and Larry's gonna Larry's gonna harp on this, but knowing your Bible is the best tool when interacting with a skeptic. No matter what. No matter how many tools we give you, no matter how many questions we tell you to ask, no matter what order we tell you to ask them in, the best way to answer a skeptic is to know your Bible. Because they're going to they're gonna make an accusation. If you know your Bible, at the end of the day, God's Word is sufficient to help you be a minister of reconciliation as Paul says in Corinthians. So the goal of our lesson was this, to introduce you to the concept of answering a skeptic's objections with questions. The goal is that I want you, the first instinct, to change from defensiveness, from fear, from uh, sadness, from answering with this really awesome argument that says, boom, you're wrong, I'm right. Ask them a question. Get to know what they have to say. Unearth their assumptions. Make them prove their assertions and put a stone in their shoe and share the gospel. Alright, we got to be done. Have a good night.